attentive, help everybody to be able to focus. Father, I ask you to help me, that your Holy Spirit would come upon me, and that you would help me to be able to uh, preach through these verses, Lord, and that it would not just be going through my notes, Lord, but that you would use your word in these people's hearts, Lord, in their lives, and that we would not waste their time tonight, but that it would be something that they could learn from, that they could grow from. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Exodus chapter number 23, and like I said, we've been going through these uh, chapters, and, and what you've got to understand as we're studying these chapters in the book of Exodus, that we're literally just reading the law books that God gave them. These are books, and He's just giving them law after law after law, but there's so much we can learn in regards to these uh, verses, but He's giving them very specific uh, instructions. If you look at verse number 1, it says, Thou shalt not raise a false report. Now, a false report is a lie. A false report is something that's not true. It's false. And He says, Thou shalt not raise a false report, put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous, look what it says, witness. So he's talking about, like, in a court of law, and he's giving them these laws, and you think, you know, sometimes you think these are kind of common sense, what he has to say, well, for the same reason that they have to say it in our courts, you know, the same reason they, they bring somebody up in our courts, and they make them put their hand up, and they make them say, you know, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Because people lie, because people are false, because people uh, don't care about the truth. But God told them, Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. He said, I want you to be honest. He said, I want you to tell the truth. Now look at verse 2. He says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. You say, what is that talking about? The last part of that verse there, you see that word rest there, W-R-E-S-T? The word rest there means to pull or move by force. It means to gain with difficulty. It comes from the same root word, like you've heard the term, you know, you've heard of somebody wrestling, you know what I'm talking about? Where two, two people are, are pulling back and forth, and they're, they're uh, expanding strength there, and they're trying to, to pin one down. That's the same root word as the word rest there. What he's saying, he says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause. He says, you're not going to speak in a cause, uh, a, a, you know, in a matter there. He says, to decline after many to pull or to force judgment. You say, what he's saying there, he's saying just because there's a big group of people that all want to see a certain outcome, he says, don't follow a multitude to do evil. He says, if you know that every, you know, everybody's lying about something. They're all, you know, they just want, you know, we've all decided this guy's guilty. He says, if you know that guy's not guilty, he said, don't pull the judgment to just follow the crowd. He says, you ought to be honest. He says, even if it goes against the crowd. You know, here's he's talking about a case and judgment, but obviously we can apply this to our lives. You know, it'd be good for teenagers tonight to just realize and remember and learn that thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. And you know, while we're talking about the teenagers, it'd be good for adults to figure that out too. Just because a lot of people are doing something and it's, you know, if it's wrong, you ought to take a stand against it. If it's wrong, you say, well, people will make fun of me. People will say I'm different. People will say, you know, I'm not normal. I'm not with the norm. I'm not in the in crowd. Hey, the Bible says thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. 
You gotta do right. You gotta be honest. Look at verse 3. He says, Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. That word countenance there means to favor or approve. So God, He's given us both parts. He says, look, just because there's a whole lot of people who want to do evil, you, you ought not rest judgment with those people. You ought to do what's right. If you know they're wrong, then call them out for it. But He says, in the same time, you ought not look at poor people and show favor, that word countenance there, means to give favor or approval. He said, neither shalt thou favor, look at verse 3, neither shalt thou countenance, he's saying, neither shalt thou favor, neither shalt thou approve a poor man in his cause. He says, you ought not look at poor someone and say, well, they're poor, so I'm just going to side with them just because they're poor. Does that make sense? What God is saying is you ought not have respect for persons. You ought not say, well, everybody says that so-and-so did this, so everyone must be right. He says, no. If you know that's a lie, then stand up for it. But he said at the same time, you know, you got to look at, you know, today our society, people like to say, well, you know, this corporation, they're a rich corporation, so that obviously means they're evil, and this poor person. Look, that's not the case either. He says, you got to always side on the side of truth. He always had a side on the side of righteousness. He said, be a righteous witness. He said, he, here's what he's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us to be honest. We got to just learn to be honest people. If you look at verse number... Uh, Five there. Look, he says, if, uh, actually, you know, just real quickly, skip with me to verse number six. Look, look at verse six. He says, Thou shalt not rest. We saw that word there again. It means to pull or move by force. He says, Thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy poor in his cause. He's saying, Don't uh, favor a poor person simply because he's poor. Keep thee far from a false matter. And the innocent and the righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. And thou shalt take, look what he says, thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you ought not give someone who's deciding, you know, uh, uh, judgment, don't give him a gift, don't give him a bribe. He's giving them these laws and he's trying to explain to them, look, a gift will uh, blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. He's saying you ought to be honest. He said you ought not just look at a situation. You know, today you'll have people who will look at a situation and they'll say, so-and-so is right. You know, they won't even know any facts about what happened. And they'll say, so-and-so is right. Like, uh, let me give you an example. You, you know I like to get controversial. Um, there was this uh, case just a few months ago. What was it called? The, uh, the guy in Florida... He was uh, uh, a neighborhood watch kid, you know. Uh, what was it? He killed, he killed that kid, right? Zimmerman. John Zimmerman. Right. The, the whole case, I, I like watching stuff like this unfold. Because, you know, I, I listen to the news a lot while I'm driving or whatever. And this whole John, and look, I'm not, I'm not for or against either. I don't really care either way, you know. But, you know, this whole John Zimmerman thing came out. And before anybody even had any facts... All, the, all these white people were like, well, you know, because they, 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 uh, they, they came out saying in the news that John Zimmerman was a white guy, and he killed his black guy, you know, and then they're like, it's a race crime. Or and all these white people were like, were like, like he, well, he didn't do anything wrong or whatever. And it turns out he's not even white. He's a Mexican. He's just a Hispanic guy, you know. But they announced he was white. So then all these black people were like, well, he's wrong, and he's racist, and he's this and that. You know, and I'm not for or against or whatever, but, you know, I'll tell you what's wrong, okay? Because he was a 17-year-old kid, right? Which is fine. He's a 17-year-old kid. I get that. But you know that uh, all these uh, uh, magazines or whatever were circulating a picture of him when he was, like, 12 years old? And they were saying, look at what this, this man killed. And it's like, he's not 12 years old. You know, you say, what is that? Well, here's what it is. Is they're trying to sell 
They're trying to sell a conspiracy. They're trying to sell because that because that sells, you know. So they're being what are they doing? They're being they're they're purposely being false. Because do you understand that there's a difference between a 12 year old and a 17 year old? Do you understand the difference? But when you circulate a picture of a 12 year old and you say this, you know, 23 year old killed, and then you show him a picture of a 12 year old killed, hey, that's false. That's not true. That's not what happened. And then it comes out, you know, it comes out afterwards that the kid was like beating him up, that the kid was like literally pounding his head into the sidewalk. It comes out by the doctor saying that he had gases in the back, that his nose was broken. It comes out afterwards that they, that when they did a autopsy or whatever, that they realized that when he shot him, he shot him from a distance of like eight inches because the kid was literally going to kill him. I mean... Look, 17-year-old kids sometimes are big kids, okay? You know what I'm saying? And I'm not for or against. I'm, not, I'm just telling you that that's an example of our society today. And here's where most people, they just hear, you know, well, the media said that this white guy was killing this 12-year-old. You know, they get all upset. But nobody does the research. Nobody sits there and says, well, what actually happened? Well, what is the case? You know what I'm saying? And this is what God is advocating. Because even today, even in the United States of America today, most people, you talk to them about John Zimmerman and all these people that are for the, the minority are going to be like, well, he was killing this 12-year-old kid. Well, he wasn't a 12-year-old kid, number one. You know, and he, was, and, and he had all sorts of issues or whatever. And, and I'm not, and again, I'm not advocating for it. I could care less. I'm just trying to tell you that even today, people choose. They choose sides based on, well, was he poor? Well, was he black? Well, was he rich? Well, was he white? You have not decide stuff like that. You ought to decide who's right, who's wrong, what was going on. You know, I don't just, like, you know, and let me, and let me teach you something too. We, we've got an issue in our society when everybody just, you know, identifies themselves by race. You know, all these people say, I don't feel comfortable here because I'm the only white person. Or I don't feel comfortable here because I'm the only black person. You know, I thank God that I was raised in a Christian home. And you know when I don't feel comfortable? When I'm the only Christian. But you know when I'm around other Christians? I don't look at race. I don't look at color. I say, hey, praise God. These people love Jesus. They love Jesus Christ. Hey, that's how you ought to identify yourself as a person. Is whether you're saved or whether you're not. Forget about race. God never, you know, He never said that. He says, look, a poor person's right. Justify him. A poor person is wrong. Don't just side with them because they're poor. He says a whole lot of people are against John Zimmerman. A whole lot of people were against him. Then the truth started coming out, and then they're like, "Oh well, I guess the guy is settling court." And look, I'm not for or against. I don't really care if you know whatever he did, what he did. All I'm saying is this: we need to get out of this mentality where, well, a Mexican did it, so it must be okay. No, don't don't think like that. And as a Christian, you ought to think, you know, you know, you ought to identify yourself as a Christian, not as a race. Don't let people put you in these made up, you know, do you know that the Bible never uses the word race? You know, it talks about a race like run the race that is set before you. But the Bible never uses the word race. The Bible says that we are all of one blood, that we all came from the same person, from Adam. The Bible says we are all of the same cloth. It says, and by the way, God's not impressed with any of us because the Bible says we're all sinners. And we all need Jesus Christ. So we ought to get out of this mentality where, you know, I, I went to the, to, the, to the doctors and I was, I felt, you know, could you imagine, could you imagine if I came home? So I went to the doctors and I felt so out of place because I was the only brown person there. Like, good night. <laughs> I felt out of place because everybody was worldly there. That's why I felt out of place. You know, so we ought to get out of that mentality and don't let people just tell you how you should or shouldn't feel. Or, you know, what God is saying is, listen to the facts. If you're poor... Don't just be on the side of the poor guy. If you're rich, don't just be on the side of the rich guy. If you listen to politics, listen to talk radio, that's what it's all about. The Democrats are for the poor and the Republicans are for the rich. Hey, they're all stealing from you. They're all liars. You know, the, 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 let me just break it down to you. The Republicans want to take your...
your tax money and spend it on warfare. And the Democrats want to take your money and spend it on welfare. But guess what? They all want to spend it. They just want to take your money and spend it anyway. So, no, no, no. You're, well, Christians are all Republicans. Just get out of that. And just realize, who's right? Always side with righteousness. Always side with, with, with what's good and what's right. And, and, you know, listen to the facts. Don't just side with people for no uh, reason. Go to verse number 4. Look what it says. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray... Thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear, that word forbear there means to abstain or refrain to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. You see that? He says, if you meet your enemy's ox, and it's going astray, he said, don't turn a a blind eye. He said, you ought to help him. He said, well, that's my enemy's ox. You ought to take that ox and take him back home. You know who that ox belongs to. Look at verse 1. He says, if thou see the ass of him that hated, lying under his burden. This is really bad. You see an ox that was working there, and and the burden that was on top of him got so heavy that he's lying underneath it, and he's trapped, and he can't get out. He says, you know, I know that your flesh wants to forbear. Your flesh wants to abstain and just act like I didn't see it. But he said, look, it's your enemy's ox, but you ought to help him anyway. And here's what I think is funny. Keep your finger there in Acts 23. Go back to, uh, uh, go, go to real quickly with Matthew chapter number 5. You know, all these, these contemporary Christians today, the, the, one of the biggest, and I've talked about this before, but I'll say it again. One of these biggest things that these contemporary Christian uh, people like to say today is they'll say, they'll say the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament was angry, and the God of the Old Testament was was mad, and the God of the Old Testament was just all about thou shalt not, and thou shalt not. But the God of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, he's just happy-go-lucky, you know, he's just a nice guy. And, the, and, and I often think to myself, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's what the Bible says. It's the same God in the Old Testament as the New Testament. And they'll say, well, the God of the Old Testament was angry in the God of the New Testament. But you know what's funny? We read there in, in, in Exodus where he said, if you see the ox of your enemy, help him. If you see your enemy's ox going astray, take it back to him. And if you go to Matthew chapter number 5, look at verse number, uh, where do I want you to go? Verse number 43. This is a very well-known passage of the Bible known as the... Uh, Sermon on the Mount by the Lord Jesus Christ. Very well-known passage. And, and look what, look what uh, Jesus Christ said. Um, he says in verse 43, He says, uh, Ye have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And send the rain to the just and to the unjust. And to that I say, Amen. And you know, people would say, Well, you know, that's the God of the New Testament. And Amen, that is the God of the New Testament. But you know where Jesus got that from? The book of Exodus. Where he said, Hey, love your enemy. You know, and, and by the way, this right here is real Christianity. People think, well, Christianity is, is putting a tie on and going to church and polishing my shoes and, and, and grabbing a Bible, and there's nothing wrong with putting a tie on. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. There's nothing wrong with polishing your shoes and grabbing a Bible. But you know, real Christianity is when you start doing like this, love your enemies. You know, I talked about this on Sunday morning. God tells us, and I didn't didn't get it in my notes, I probably should have, but God specifically commands us to hate those who hate God. But God never commands us to hate those who hate us. God says, you love your enemy. Look what He says. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. 
and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He said, there's somebody who's taking advantage of you, they're despitefully you, you got to pray for that person. He said, you got to love that person. And you say, well, well, if I do that, I'll be taking advantage of it. If I do it, if I return the ox to my enemy, he's not going to care. He's just going to use that ox and, and take that money and, and to fight against me. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, be not weary and well-doing. For in due season, ye shall reap if ye faint not. And as Christians, you got to understand that when you do right, and you love people, and you take a hit, even when it's hurting you, hey, when you do right, God keeps score in heaven. God makes sure you're blessed because of it. That's why I always, I, I try, I look for opportunities to take a loss. Because I know God's going to bless. And the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. That word weary means that don't get tired of it. Don't get tired of doing good. For in due season, ye shall reap. If you think not. And if you know anything about sowing and reaping, you always reap more than you sow. You know, I heard a, I heard a preacher say it like this. You, you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a tank of, of mercy in your Christian life. And you want to just be filling that up. You say, how do I fill up that tank of mercy? Well, you show mercy. You give mercy to others. You say, why? Because one day you may need mercy. And then you can rely on the fact that, hey, I've loved my enemy, I forgave my enemy, I took a loss when I could have, you know, taken advantage of them, I, I gave them mercy, and I gave them forgiveness, and I gave them kindness, and I gave them patience, and I gave them long-suffering when, when, when I wasn't getting anything back. And then one day, you're going to need that, and you're going to have that tank full. The problem is, most of us, when we need forgiveness, and we need love, and we need mercy, we, we never dish that out to others, so we don't have anybody dishing it out to us. But it's very interesting because the, you go back to Exodus 23, the mean, old, angry God of the Old Testament says, If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, thou wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help him. And you know what? I, I asked you to go back to Exodus, but go, go back to Matthew 23, real, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, because I, I forgot to show you something that I wanted to show you real quick. I apologize for that. Matthew chapter number 5. You were just there, so it should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter number 5. Some of you are like, I just got there. And then I, I left it. <laughs> so, okay, well, you just listen up then. But look what it says. Uh, look at verse number uh, 46. I want to show you this. He says, For if ye love them which love you, look what he says. If ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? Look, let me tell you something. The world loves people that love them. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Look, as Christians, we ought to take that extra step. You say, well, I'm only going to love those who love me. And I'm only going to salute those who say hi to me. And I'm only, and it goes back to, I'm only going to be nice to people that are my same skin color. Well, well, that's pretty normal, you know. That's been around forever. But it says, look at verse 47. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know what he's saying? He's saying you ought to take it another step. You got to take it further. He says, don't just love those who love you. You can go back to Exodus this time I'm here. You know, don't just love those who love you. Love those who love you and those who don't love you. Love those who pray for you and those. He's saying, say hi to those who say hi to you and those who don't say hi to you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, love your enemies. And, we, and, and you know, if, if, you, if you really 
think about what we're learning tonight, what God is trying to teach us is how to really treat others. How should we treat others? Well, you gotta, you remember the golden rule? Treat others the same way you'd like to be treated. You know, when I'm in court one day, I would like people to judge me based on what the actual facts are, not my skin color, or how much money I have in the account. Does that make sense? And if you'd like to be treated that way, then you ought to treat others that way. If you'd like your enemy to help you when your ox is going down the road, you know, or whatever. You know, if you like your enemy to help you, when he has the opportunity, maybe you ought to help him. It's all about treating. It's all about relationship. And by the way, that's how you get people saved, too. You know how you make uh, an enemy your, your friend, and how you get an enemy saved is you love them when they don't love you. Look at verse number 9. Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger. The word stranger there is talking about a foreigner. He says, Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. You see that? He says, look, when a foreigner comes into your town, don't treat him, don't oppress him differently. He says, you know why? Because you used to be a stranger. See that, that, that same concept that we were just talking about. You treat others, you, did you, and by the way, let me say this. People have this hazing mentality, where it's like, well, we got treated bad in, in Egypt, so we're going to make sure all the strangers get treated. You know, you, not only should you treat others the way you want to be treated, but you got to treat others better than you were treated. He says, you were mistreated in, in Egypt, you ought to treat strangers in Israel right. You, gotta, you, gotta, you know, you ought to just do evil to other people because evil was done to you, is what he's trying to say. He says, you ought to love people. Look at verse 9. Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. And six years thou shalt sow thy land, and shalt gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest, and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with the vineyard, and with thy olive year. Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, and thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger uh, may be refreshed. He's saying, look, you ought to love people, you ought to take care of people. He says, if you've got workers that work for you, you ought to give them a day off. He said, why? Look at the last part of verse 12. That they may be refreshed. He says, you ought to, you ought to, and by the way, you shouldn't abuse your animals. He says, six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest. He says, let, let your animals rest, and the son of thy handmaid, and the stranger may be refreshed. He said, you got workers working for you, you got some servants there, or you got some uh, uh, illegal immigrants working for you, or whatever it is. So he says, give them a day off, let them work, let them refresh. He says, and the stranger may be refreshed. But look at verse 11. Again, it says, But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still. But what he says, That the poor of thy people may eat. Now this is very interesting. It's a law in the Bible. And we actually kind of studied this in the book of Ruth. But he said, you know, you got a property there, a farm that you're farming or whatever. And he said an olive yard or whatever it is. He says, you ought to till that ground six years. And you ought to let it produce for six years. And, and you ought to eat, eat off of that for six years. But he said, the seventh year you should let it rest. He said, don't, don't work on it again because the ground needs to, uh, needs to replenish itself. And you know, it's, it's scientifically proven today that if you let ground, you know, rest on the seventh year because you lose so many of those nutrients in that earth. Some, one of the reasons the food is so unhealthy that we eat today is because the love of money is the root of all evil. People are planting and planting and planting and, ro- and sowing and sowing and sowing and reaping and reaping and be- reaping every year. And we get back to this mentality where we let the land rest. 
you know, the nutrients there would be good. But I want you to see, it says, But the seventh year thou shalt uh, uh, let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat. Do you see that? And, when, and what they leave, the beasts of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt do with the vineyard and with the olive tree. So what he's saying is this, because here's the thing, if you've got land, and for six years you're planting, you know, whatever, corn, or you're planting, uh, you know, uh, olives, or whatever it is, and then the, sixth, the seventh year you take a break, and you just let it rest, well, naturally you're going to produce food anyway. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying, well, that food that comes out that you didn't work for that seventh year, he says, you ought to allow the poor of the land to come and pick that food. So what is he saying? He's saying you should take care of the poor. He said you ought to love the poor. He said you ought to, you ought to give them uh, uh, the ability. Now, now listen to me, because this is where we go, where, where people go astray sometimes with this type of situation. You've got to understand the difference between helping and empowering. Okay? I get a call probably every day, and in fact, multiple times a day, from people calling me, and asking me to pay their rent, to pay their PG&E, to pay their this and pay that. And these people literally have no idea who they're calling. They're just, go, they're just opening up the yellow pages to churches, and they're just going down the line, just calling number after number. Sometimes, I, you know, usually I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever. We don't really have anything, any, any type of accounts to help with that. And look, we help our church people all the time. We help our church people all the time. If you need help, you know, we'll try to help you if we have the money available. But, but you know... One thing I found out when we first started the church, we were helping all these people that were calling. And it was funny because none of them ever showed up to church. Some of them, we would t- I'd tell them, like, hey, come to church on Sunday night and we'll get you groceries or whatever. They come up after church. You know, they, they show they, they, they showed up when the service was over. And they're like, I'm here for money. And it's like, okay, whatever, you know. And, and, you know, sometimes these people call me and I'll say something to them like, what church are you calling? And they're like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, because they don't really know which one. They're just calling phone numbers, you know. I've had people tell me, one guy recently, I was telling the guys, one time recently told me, um, oh, you know, um, I, I was recommended to your church by so-and-so, so-and-so, you know, and, and, he, and he said, oh, no, he, he didn't say anything. He said, I've got a friend who goes to your church. And he said, you guys help with stuff like this. And I was hoping, you know, you could, you could help me with. And, and he didn't mention the guy's name. And I said, oh, really? Uh, who's your friend? <laughs> And he's like, well, 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 my friend is, uh, you know. He's like, well, well, um, you know, you probably wouldn't recognize, he's only there on Sunday morning. And I'm thinking to myself, you obviously don't know our church because I know literally everybody who comes to this church. I mean, I make it a point. When a visitor comes, I know our vis- the visitors. I visit the visitors. I pray for the visitors. I know everyone. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, if you came to the church on Sunday morning, I know who you are. He's like, well, and the guy's like, well, you know everybody who goes I'm like, look. And I think myself, man, do these guys really get away with it? Are there really pastors out there that just don't know who their church people are? You know, I, I guess so. I don't know, because they get away with it. But, you know, and I, I was talking to this guy, and I was being wrong, and he, you know, hung up. But here's what, here's what I, I'm telling all that to say this. We ought to help the poor. But we ought not empower the poor. I don't know if that makes sense. But, you know, people ought to learn to take care of themselves. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations with the church people uh, where, where it's like, I got a certain amount of money and I blew through it and I don't have any money to buy groceries. And it's like, hey, I'll help you out. But when that happens every day, every month, you know, month after month after month, hey, you ought to realize, you know, that you know, people ought to learn from their mistakes. Does that make sense? People should learn from their, from their mistakes and people should learn, you know, the, the point I'm trying to make is if you constantly give people money and money and money, you never teach them to be responsible. Does that make sense? 
You never teach them to, to take control of their spending or take control of their, of their finances. If it's just, if it becomes part of the budget, and here's the funny thing, usually when people run out of money, you see them, you know, they've got new shoes on, and they've got, you know, nice uh, nails done, and their hair done, and this and that. And it's like, you know, sometimes you have to get to a point where to love people, you really just got to let them suffer. Because that's the only way they're going to realize that, like, wow, I need to take care of myself. So he's saying here, you know, when you're not working the field, let the poor grab food from it. But he's not necessarily saying, you know, feed the poor. Did you notice that? He's not saying, you know, take from your own and get to the poor and feed the poor. He's saying, you know, whatever's left over, let them have it. But a lot of times people just need to realize and grow up and learn how to budget their money and finance their money. You got to learn from your mistakes uh, when it comes to stuff like that. And I'm not saying, you know, obviously we love, we ought to love people like that. But today we we have this mentality where you empower people. You know, and a lot of times these people that are calling us, they, I'm paying their grocery bill, and really I'm paying their grocery bill so they have money to do their drugs, you know. And that's not right. That's not good. And we ought not um, do stuff like that. So we ought to have the, the wisdom to, to not do that. Go to page, look at uh, verse number 12. Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, thine ox, uh, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Look at verse 13. And in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect. That word circumspect there means careful to consider all circumstances and consequences. Now here's what I want you to say. He says, and in all things that I have said unto you, be careful to consider circumstances and consequences. He says, you want to be very careful with how you deal with God and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. So, the first uh, 12 verses of the chapter, he's really explaining us how to deal with others, how to have relationship with others. Now he's going to start explaining to us how to deal with God. Look at verse 14. He says, three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as, a, uh, as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And this is a reference back to the Passover. And that's a reference to salvation. So he's saying, look, he's saying, I want you to have three feasts. I want you to take three specific weeks to acknowledge something, to acknowledge me, to celebrate me. This was a holiday type thing. And he says, I want you to acknowledge, number one, your salvation. And you know, as Christians, you got to acknowledge your salvation. You ought to thank God that He saved you, and thank God that you're not on your way to hell. But look what He says. He talks about the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, look at verse 16, and the Feast of Harvest. Now here's what you're going to understand. The Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of thy labor, which thou hast sown in the field. So he says, when you're, when you're performing your harvest, He says, before you perform your harvest, He says, you ought to have a feast to thank God for what He's going to give you. You see that? Very interesting. Look at the last part of verse 16. And the feast of ingatherings, which is in the end. So he says, look, I want you to have a feast where it's all about being thankful that God brought you out of Egypt. A picture of your salvation. But he says, I also want you to have a feast before the harvest, just thanking God and celebrating God and being thankful for what He's going to do. And he says, once the harvest is done, he said, I want you to have another party, another feast, to thank God for what He did do. Isn't that very interesting? God not only wants you to be thankful for the provision He's going to give you, but He wants you to be thankful for the provision He has given you. And I think a lot of times we lack what God has given us because we haven't acknowledged what God will give us. We don't, we don't thank God 
for what he's gonna give us, because you say, well, I think God wants he gives it to me. You gotta be thankful of what God's gonna do in the future, and then once he does it for you, be thankful for what he did. And don't complain about it. He says, the feast of ingatherings, the feast of the harvest. Look at verse number 20. Actually, look at verse number uh, 17. Three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the first fruits of thy, la- of, of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Look what he says. Beware of him and obey his voice. He says, I want you to obey this angel's voice provoke him not for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him look at verse 22 but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak then I notice this I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries for mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and I will cut them off now listen to me I am not a prosperity preacher you are not looking at a prosperity name it and claim it God's going to make you rich side preacher but you cannot get away from these verses the Bible says In verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. He says in verse 22, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, he says, I will be an enemy unto thine enemies. Now I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. He said love your enemies, but hey, if I can get God to be an enemy of my enemies, that's a good deal. Look at verse 24. Thou shalt not bow down to, to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt surely overthrow them, and quite break down their images, and ye shall serve the Lord your God, and ye shall bless... Look what he said. And he shall bless thy bread. That's talking about the food you eat. And thy waters. That's talking about your nourishment. And I will take... Look what he said. I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young. He's saying he's talking about their business there. In this time they would have a business where they would have this cattle. He said your cattle are going to have children. They're not going to have their children die, you know. They're going to produce. He said that there shall nothing cast their young. Be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee. And I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto me. And I will send hornets. So he said, I will send hornets before thee which shall uh, drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and before the... uh, Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but the Bible says that those who obey God, God will bless them. God says, I will bless your income. He says, I will bless your bread. He says, I will bless your health. Now listen to me. If someone has bad health, I'm not saying they're they're, they're not right with God. If someone has bad finances, I'm not saying they're not right with God. Look at Job. Job was the most righteous man on earth in that day. But I am saying this, and listen to me very carefully. The Jobs are very few and far between. Everybody wants to assume that they are a Job. I'd be very careful to assume that. You're like, I'm poor because the devil's attacking me. No, you're poor because you're not good with your money. I'm, I'm, I'm sick. You know, you're sick because you eat so unhealthy. That's the problem. If you'd obey God's voice, God says, I would bless you. If you would obey his commandments, he says, I would, and let me tell you, it's not one of the, it's not this mystical type, I'm going to obey God and God's going to make me rich. Look, obey God. When God says tithe, tithe. When God says, you know, uh, take a budget of your money, take a budget of your money. When God says, and by the way, God says this many times in the Bible, to pay your bills, pay your bills. 
when he says to not, you know, but, but Christians today, you know, they get their money and then they, they you, you know, the, the check is gone within the first 30 minutes of them receiving it. You know, it's like, it got direct deposited or you got your check, you cash it and I mean, it's gone. I mean, you know, it's funny because this is how people literally live. I mean, they get paid on, on, on the 15th and man, those first five days, pff, cheesecake factory, here we come. You know, um, you know, I'm, we're gonna, we're eating out, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then the next ten days, uh, the devil's attacking. You're no Joe. <laughs> Y'all don't big up. You know, and you wonder, I'm so sick. I'm so sick, man. You know, get up, exercise, eat healthy, do right. Here's what I'm trying to tell you: If you obey God, He'll take care of you. Now, yes, there are the Joes, but listen to me: Job is the exception, not the rule. And I'd be very careful. I'd check my pride before I started thinking, walking around. Do you realize that Job, Job was the most righteous man who ever lived? You think you're the most righteous person on planet Earth? I mean, you got a pride issue. And by the way, Job, if you read the whole book of Job, he's talking about how wretched of a sinner he is. So obviously he wasn't, you know, this proud. I'm not saying that because you're sick, God's punishing you. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that God does say if you obey His voice. And it's not this mystical, I went to church, so God ought to make sure that I've got money. Obey God's voice. Go work. Hey, you'll have money. Spank your children. They'll, they'll come out right. You know, read the Bible. Go soul winning. Hey, it's just applying these things. But here's the hard part. Obeying. That's a hard word. He says if you would obey. He says if you would. Look what he says, verse 24. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow. We're talking about the relationship you have with God. That's what this whole chapter is about. Relationship you have with other people. Then he's talking about your relationship with God. You know, the relationship I have with God, I want to be, have a good relationship with God. Notice what he says. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow. You know what he's saying? God's saying, don't put another God before me. He says, if you put another God before me, I might put someone else before you. He says, you put me first in your life. He says, look what he says, look at verse 25, it's what it says. And he shall serve the Lord your God. He says, when you serve the Lord your God, he shall bless thy bread. That's what it says. But you know what the problem is? Most of us don't serve the Lord our God. Most of us don't put God first. Most of us allow anything to come before God. Allow any excuse to come before obeying His Word. Allow any, any excuse to not read the Bible. Any excuse to not go soul winning. Any excuse to skip out on church. Any excuse to not serve God. And then we wonder why God's not just, you know, tripping over Himself to serve us. Maybe it's because we're not tripping over ourselves to serve Him. You know, you ought to treat God the same way you'd like to be treated. That's why we ought to try to keep God first so He can keep us first. Let's finish this up real quick. Look at verse number 29. He says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year. Now you've got to keep in mind that He's talking to these people about the fact that He's going to bring them into the promised land. And He's saying, hey look, if you obey My voice, I'm going to bless you. He says, if you bow down to their gods, you put another god before Me, I'm going to put other people before you. But you serve Me, I'll serve you. He says, you take care of Me, I'll take care of you. He says, I'll bless you. He said, I'll t- I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. He says, I'm going to bless your income, I'm going to bless your family. He says, it's going to be a great thing. He says, you're not even going to have to fight battles. I'm going to send the hornets before, and they're going to win the battle before you even get there. But He says in verse 29, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year. He's saying, it's not going to happen overnight. He says, why not? Lest the land become desolate. 
and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. He says, if I drive out all these people from that land, if I drive them all out in one year, he says, there's not enough of you to control that whole land. So it's going to get overtaken by animals. It's going to be overtaken. Here's what he's saying. He's saying it's going to be, take time to fulfill the will of God for your life. You know, oftentimes I, I have to think about that. Uh, just this week, I was thinking, you know, uh, generally, I'll give you a little lesson on, on pastoring, I guess, or whatever, but generally summers are, are real bad months for churches. As far as church attendance is concerned, you, you take a hit in the summer. Um, it's always real low because everybody's, you know, at the park or at the beach or on vacation or whatever. You know, and generally September, it becomes real good for churches again because, you know, kids go back to school. People get back in their schedules and their routines and they're back to church, you know. Uh, so, uh, and you know, we were having a real good summer, actually. We're having great, great attendances. But in August, summer finally caught up with us, you know, and we're back down to that, you know. So I'm looking forward to September. Amen. But, you know... At the same time, you know, sometimes I get frustrated, even with our with our with our church, and you may get frustrated and think, when is this finally going to happen? You know, and sometimes I, I I think to myself, you know, well, we need a higher attendance, we need more people coming, we need more soul winners, we need more this that. And sometimes, you know, God just has to slap me upside the head and say, hey, God's going to do it in His timing, and God will do it in your timing. You say, well, when's my business finally going to pick up, or when's my income finally, when's my family going to get saved? When's, you know, God will do it in His timing, and God knows better than you. He said, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate. He said, I've got reasons why I'm making you white. And the beasts of the field multiply. He says, look at verse 30, By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased. You know what God's waiting for? is for you to be ready. I'll be honest with you. You know why Verity Baptist Church doesn't have 200 members in it today? Because Pastor Jimenez is not ready to lead 200 members. But when God gets me to that place, then God will give that. And you know why you're not a millionaire? Because you can barely handle the little money you've got. <laughs> why would God bless you with a million? Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. He says, until thou be increased and inherit the land. Now, here's a trick. Get ready for it. Because so many of us don't want to get ready for it. The Bible says if you're faithful with the little things, He'll give you more. But we're not faithful. We don't take... See, that's why you say, well, well, well Pastor Jimenez, what are you doing? You know what I'm doing? I'm trying to take what God has given us now, seriously. I'm, you know, you say, well, well do, you, do you not take a, a smaller church? Look, I'm trying to pre- I preach to you like I'm... You know, uh, ask, ask Jovita. Jovita's been with us in the very first service. There's been services where it was, it was my family and Jovita. Many services where it was my family and Jovita. Ask her if I wasn't preaching the same. Yelling and... Kicking and screaming and spitting. You say, why? Because I'm trying to be faithful with what God's given us today. So that He would find us faithful with tomorrow. But the problem is, you're not faithful today, why would He bless you tomorrow? You're not increasing today, why would He increase you tomorrow? He says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. When you get increased... I'll give it to you. You know, just start preparing for the will of God. Start living your life like you're that, whatever that goal is, whatever that ministry is, whatever it is you want. And, and realize, and you know, you ought to just realize that sometimes it's not all, you know, for me, I got to realize, I was just reading something this week and it really, I felt like God slapped me up the head. And you know, I, I, I really got a burden in my heart to realize, I, you know, we ought to stop emphasizing so much. And, and, and we understand that numbers mean people. That's why we emphasize numbers. But at the same time, let God do what He's going to do and just love the people you're with. 
You know, you gotta love, you know, you, Pastor Mark Lewis, one of my uh, real good friends and, and used to be my pastor around the but he used to say this all the time. He said, live in the moment. So often we're trying to live in the future, but what God's going to do in the future. Just love the people that are here today. Love the people you're with today. Take care of the people you're with today. Hey, love the enemies you have today. <laughs> you may have different enemies tomorrow. Look at verse 31. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the rivers, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, I will surely be a snare unto thee. He's given them a final warning and saying, he says, I taught you how to treat the poor. He says, I taught you how to treat your enemies. He said, I taught you how to treat people in situations the way you'd like to be treated. He said, I taught you how to treat God. And then at the end, he says, he says and by the way, here's how you ought to treat the unsaved people, the ungodly people, the worldly people. He said, you ought not have relationships with them. Why? They shall not dwell in thy land. Look what it says, verse 33. Lest they make thee sin against me. Do you see that? It's not a coincidence that when you get around your worldly friends, you skip church. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that when you're around church people, you're in church. <laughs> That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that when you get around godly people, you're talking about the Bible, you're talking about soul winning, you're talking about... The Bible says iron sharpened iron. And then you get around worldly people and you're like, oh, I'm struggling, oh, I'm... Ins-. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. Birds of a feather flock together. And God says, they shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. Say, why should I try to separate myself from worldly people so you don't sin against God? That's why. Is it because we don't love those people? No, we ought to love everybody. Get them saved. Get them the gospel. Get them in church. But look, if your friend says to you, I'm not interested in church, you know what your response ought to be? I'm not interested in you. Because I'm interested in church. And I'm interested in God. And anyone who's not interested in God, I'm, I, I just, I, I love you. I'll pray for you. I'll be friendly to you. I'm not your enemy. And if I am your enemy now, I'm still going to love you. Amen. But I'm going to be around God's people. Because iron sharpens iron. And I don't want to get around people. Because you say, well, what's the, what's the big deal? The big deal is you'll sin against God. And that's always the deal. That's always the problem. And that's why he says, hey, just listen to me, just obey my voice, and I'll bless you, I'll take care of you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And thank you for Bible study night, where we can just go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, studying your scriptures. Lord, I just pray you'd allow this to be a lesson that would help us to realize how we ought to treat people. Treat others the way we'd like to be treated. You know, when we, listen, when we listen to the news and we listen to all these different things, could, could we just take a moment and realize, well, if I was so-and-so, I'd like people to let the facts go out before I make my judgment. You know, if, I, if, if it was my ox, I'd like my enemy to help me. If I was a stranger, I'd like, if I was a foreigner, I'd like them to treat me fair and right. And if I was God, see, we don't think about it like that. If I was God, I'd like me to serve God. Well, God wants you to serve Him too. Father, I pray you to help us to realize what our relationships are. How we relate to others, how we treat others, how we love others. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.